From the concert halls to the juke joints, from churches to festivals in the fields, welcome to another episode of Bill Street Caravan, celebrating the sounds of Memphis and the Mississippi Delta for more than 20 years. Heard around the globe on NPR Worldwide, major funding for Beale Street Caravan is provided by the Memphis Convention and Visitors Bureau and the AutoZone Corporation. Hi, I'm your co-host, Pat Mitchell-Worley. And I'm Kevin Cummings. This week, we feature emerging folk artist, Kaya Cater. Bill Street Caravan contributor, Dr. Barbara Ching, will be returning as well to continue her series on the connections between country music and the blues. That's all coming up right now on Bill Street Caravan. Hey, Pat. Hey, Kevin. We have Bill Street Caravan first-timer Kaya Cater on the program with us. So where do we begin with this talented young artist? Where to begin, indeed, to put a label on Kaya? You, you can't. It won't be easy, but since this is the intro to the show, we, of course, have to try. Kaya comes to us by way of Canada. She describes herself as an African-Canadian roots artist. Her influences are multicultural, deep, and wide. You get a sense that even though she's only 24 years old, she's lived multiple lives. Kaya spent significant time traveling the American South, immersed in our folk traditions and soaking it all up. The sounds of the Mississippi Delta, the sounds of Appalachia. She spent stretches in Memphis every summer growing up with the Folk Alliance, so she knows our city well too. And along the way, Kaya picked up the banjo. It's her main instrument, and I think it's a perfect symbol too for her. Because while the instrument is most closely associated today with bluegrass and Appalachian folk music, it's actually an African instrument. The banjo comes from Africa, and a banjo wouldn't have been out of place at all on Beale Street at the turn of the century. Right. Kaya has two studio efforts under her belt. Her music has been awarded a Canadian Folk Music Award, and Rolling Stone magazine recently listed her in their list of 10 country artists you need to know about. See, so country, you can't pin Kaya down. You get the sense she can do it all. Her latest release is titled Nine Pin. It's available on Kingswood Records. Stick around after the break because Pat gets to sit down and talk with Kaya. Here's Kaya Cater live on Bill Street Caravan.
to the sounds of Memphis on Bill Street Caravan. Here's more from Kaya Cater. I believe in being ready. I believe in being ready. I believe in being ready when this world is to an end. Oh, sinners do get ready. Oh, sinners do get ready. Oh, sinners do get ready for the times of drawing me. Oh, there'll be signs and wonders. Yes, there'll be signs and wonders. Oh, there'll be signs and wonders when this world is to an end. And the moon, she will be bleeding. Yes, the moon, she will be bleeding. Oh, the moon, she will be bleeding when this world is to an end. And the sun, she will be darkened. Yes, the sun, she will be darkened. Oh, the sun, she will be darkened when this world is to an end. I believe in being ready. I believe in being ready. I believe in being stars will all be falling yes the stars will all be falling oh stars will all be falling when this world is to an end for there'll be them signs and wonders yes there'll be them signs and and wonders when this world is to an end when this world is to an end
Cater live on Bill Street Caravan. We'll be right back with more music in just a few minutes. But first, we're going to turn it over to Bill Street Caravan contributor, Dr. Barbara Ching. It's time now for our feature host, Barbara Ching. She is finishing up today a 10-part series on the relationship between blues and country music. It has been quite an interesting trip, and Barbara has really taken us behind the scenes and showed us the ties that bind the two music forms. Here's Barbara Ching. There are lots of country and blues songs about death, and the final segment of this series on country music and the blues seems like the perfect time to talk about some. Of course, the hard times that country and blues singers cry about don't always end at the cemetery, especially when the devil claims his due. singing Blue Spirit Blues. She might be joking about being hauled down to hell by a red-hot blue spirit. At any rate, her piano player sounds funny. But country superstar Charlie Rich, in his Don't Put No Headstone on My Grave, sounds serious about how his troubles won't let him rest in peace. Don't put no headstone on my grave World to know. He 
that the dead man will get free from his trouble, but he's singing the words in such agony that you can't believe them. Whether he's on his deathbed, or expressing a death wish, or giving his pallbearers instruction, he doesn't sound like he'll rest in peace in that unmarked grave. Charlie Rich recorded this in Memphis. It was released in 1992, almost 20 years after his huge Nashville hit, Behind Closed Doors. There's no resting in peace when death is just one more piece of bad luck in a losing streak that won't end. Ma Rainey and Hank Williams describe the experience in almost the same way when they go down to the river to end it all. I went down to the river each and every day And I keep on calling me myself away I walked and walked till I was by I can't walk no further, younger, younger. Everything's against me and it's got me down. If I jumped in the river, I would probably drown. No matter how I struggle and strive, I'll never get out of this world alive. Ma 
Rainey sang her song, Yonder Come the Blues, in 1925, and she sang for a good while after that. But Williams released I'll Never Get Out of This World Alive in November 1952, just weeks before he died while traveling to a New Year's Day performance. Thanks to recording studios, the songs and voices of the great blues and country singers still haunt American music. Maybe that's what these songs about death say best. That's sure what the ultimate song about death says. I'm talking about Will the Circle Be Unbroken? Ada Habershon, an English evangelist and hymn composer, wrote this song early in the 20th century, and A.P. Carter later arranged it and copyrighted it for the Carter family. It starts out to be a song about a funeral, but it has ended up as a song about how music, especially the music we have on those circular pieces of plastic, inspires and unites the people left behind. Maybe that's why so many blues and country artists sing it. The Carter family... Roy Acuff, John Lee Hooker, the Neville Brothers, the Holmes Brothers, and here, the Staples Singers. I was standing by my window on a cold and cloudy day when I saw the Boys come rolling Ooh, to take my mother away Will this be unbroken By and by, Lord, by and by There's a better home Street Caravan, this is Barbara Ching. We want to remind our listeners you can find Bill Street Caravan on all the social media outlets. Look us up and join in on the fun. 
For more information, or if you want to get involved, go to our website at BealeStreetCaravan.com. Shoot us an email or sign up for our monthly newsletter to find out where the caravan is going to be next. And you can also keep up with Bill Street Caravan via our podcast. It's available through iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn, and just about anywhere podcasts can be found. Speaking of podcasts, check out our newest production, the Blues Hall of Fame podcast. Also available through iTunes, Google Play, and TuneIn. We have to take a quick break for local announcements, but stick around. There's more music to come. You're listening to The Sounds of Memphis on Bill Street Caravan. AutoZone is proud to support Bill Street Caravan and many other arts organizations that strengthen the greater Memphis community. Parts are just part of what we do. AutoZone.com. Bill Street Caravan is also supported by awards from the Memphis Convention and Visitors Bureau, Tennessee Arts Commission, Arts Memphis, and Tennessee Tourism. TennesseeVacation.com. The soundtrack of America was made in Tennessee. We're back, and for those of you just tuning in, we have emerging folk artist Kaya Cater with us. Kaya came to town to perform as a part of the Folk All Y'all concert series. Folk All Y'all, still feels weird by the way to say, Folk All Y'all has supported and nurtured the folk scene here in Memphis for more than a decade by producing an ongoing house concert series. House concert, office concert, you know. Folk All Y'all creates environments that provide very intimate and respectful listening experiences. We jumped at the chance to partner with Folk All Y'all and have Kaya on Bill Street Caravan, but we ran into a snag. They were told by the site host that unfortunately the office building was going to be undergoing unexpected construction that day. Instead of canceling or trying to reschedule, we said, hey, bring the party over here. That's right. The performance you're listening to was taped in front of a live audience right here in the Bill Street Caravan office. And before the show, I had a chance to sit down and talk with Kaya. Let's hear what she had to say. We're going to start off with the banjo. So when did you start exploring the history of this instrument? I mean, I remember starting to really conceive of the banjo as an instrument of African descent, actually here in Memphis, because I attended uh, the Folk Alliance Conference. Mm -hmm. And uh, the Carolina Chocolate Drops were the first black banjo playing band that I'd ever seen. And, uh, and they showed up, this must have been 2006 or 2007. And, uh, you know, their, their goal was really to educate people on, you know, the black traditions of the banjo and the southern traditions of the banjo. And, um, you know, that, that whole show, I was like pretty mesmerized because this was history that I feel like nobody had ever told me before. And, and honestly, most people didn't know about it. Yeah. You know, they knew about the banjo as a facet of bluegrass music and bluegrass music as, a, you know, a generally a white genre. 
And so it was the beginning of a lot for me in terms of beginning to try to understand the roots and the history of the banjo, as it were. It was such an out there thing to do. And like you're playing hillbilly music? What do you have that banjo for? <laughs> exactly. And I didn't even understand myself. Like I was a preteen and all I wanted to do was fit in. And so it's more complex than people believe it to be. And, yeah. and I can keep that in my arsenal in case someone comes at me with questions about why a mixed race person is playing the banjo on stage. I can say, well, this is an instrument that has a complex, frankly, mixed race history. Well, do you feel as though it was a part of your personal growth? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think it was, looking back, it was really symbolic for where I was at in my life and who I wanted to become and, and who I was scared to become because we all face different challenges in life. And my particular burden, which was also a blessing, as many things are, <laughs> was never really feeling like I fit in being biracial, I think the world works in, in binaries often. Yeah. And so to, to be both is also to some people to be neither. And so I think I tried for a long time to fit in and, and to try and anchor myself onto um, personality traits like being smart or being well-read or, you know, having some sort of line of defense against ignorance, I think, was, was what I was trying to do. But it, but it meant that I could never relax and be vulnerable and invest in myself and invest in art. Mm -hmm. and, and the banjo, even before I knew its history, it was like, it felt like a little piece of salvation to me because I just like the way that it sounds, like regardless of its history, I love the way that it sounds. And it, and it was the first thing that, that gave me a tool to write with and to, mm -hmm. and to sing with. And, um, and, and I'll always be thankful for that, you know, because it really was the foundation from which I grew and continue to grow as a musician. What is it like to look out and not see a reflection of yourself. Does it make you feel like you need to do more outreach musically to get in front of those audiences? Yes, and you've hit on a really important subject for me and something that I've been thinking about a lot. So for a long time, I didn't talk about race mm -hmm. with my audiences because they were predominantly white. And for that reason, you know, I have been pretty guarded most of my life and have always assumed that people wouldn't understand what I was going through. And, and with age and maturity, you know, you gain a little bit of confidence and you start not really caring what other yeah. people think. Ah, uh, the, the glorious part of getting older. <laughs> it's incredible. I love it. And so I've started talking a little bit more about the issues that I care about, like Black Lives Matter. You know, I wrote a protest song about that and I'm very unapologetic about talking about that. But with white audiences, sometimes the room tenses up mm -hmm. and, and I can feel that. And it's so different because when I was in college, we, we toured around, I was in a string band and we toured around and, and you know, sometimes we would go to HBCUs, like historically black colleges and universities, and the reception of these songs would be so different and it would be so much warmer because mm -hmm. I feel like there was a through line of when we were speaking about, you know, that pain or like having that solidarity, there was an understanding there that was pretty tacit. And so, yeah, I, I would love to access those spaces 
and bring the music to people that don't necessarily know it or haven't heard it before. So as you learned more about the music, how did that sort of weave itself into your songwriting? It took a long time. It took about three years, I think. Because, I mean, I was just learning so much music at the beginning. I was just learning volumes of tunes and of songs. Mm -hmm. And I was really consumed with representing those songs as best as I could in this band that I was in for the school. And so I think it took a lot of time to, for those songs and their meanings to settle in and then for some of those themes to come back out through my songwriting. So yeah, it was definitely a process. But I mean, I think the biggest thing is that, especially from that experience, I learned that my songs have to have some sort of gravity to them. You mm -hmm. know, like I don't think I'll ever sing a song that I wrote flippantly or that, that doesn't hold its own. I just can't do that because I think in those traditions, every song is about these massive themes of love and of death and of family and really representations of, you know, the human process of, of suffering and of, you know, hoping against hope and, and all of these things that it's like, I, I can't just <laughs> sing about like ice cream anymore, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and my last question for you is, what is the difference between the claw hammer style and other styles of playing banjo? I'm sure other people would argue with this, but I feel like no one really knows where it comes from. My theory is that it comes from, from West Africa because it's a very percussive way of, of playing yeah, the banjo. Yeah, the rhythm is definitely. The yeah, the rhythm is there. And it's, it's basically rhythm based with, you know, melody added on top. And it's one of the older forms of banjo playing. So you have like the clawhammer players, right? And those people are like through the 1800s and the early 1900s. And then you have these young guys that come along that want to make everything faster and that want to combine those elements of old time and roots music with the elements of jazz that they've been hearing. Mm -hmm. And so along comes Scruggs style, which was uh, coined by Earl Scruggs, who many people know is a really great banjo player. And uh, he, he started the three finger style. So it was a way of picking faster and in more melodic ways. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's sort of the newer style of bluegrass. And it's, it's kind of the, the shreddier style, if yeah. you will. And so I think of the Clawhammer style as like its grandfather or something. Well, I thank you for taking the time to chat with us. And we're going to go back to more music right now on Bill Street Caravan. Here's more from Kaya Cater live on Bill Street Caravan.
like a bird on a coast Harlem's little black bird on a coast Oh, become the one I love the most And take me to your Need the little 
You're listening to the sounds of Memphis on Bill Street Caravan. Here's more from Kaya Cater. You wanna try it out? Oh, my God. 
Thank you so much. We're gonna play that with a real fast tune. This is called The Hangman's Reel. Thank you guys so much for coming out. Have a great night. That was Kaya Cater, live on Beale Street Caravan. Special thanks to our community partners at Folk All Y'all in Memphis, Tennessee for making this episode of Beale Street Caravan possible. To find out more about Kaya, just head over to kayacater.com. And be sure to check out her tour dates. Chances are she's coming to a music venue near you soon. Special thanks to our supporters, AutoZone, the Memphis Convention and Visitors Bureau, Arts Memphis, Tennessee Arts Commission, Tennessee Tourism, and Bridging the Blues for their support in making Bill Street Caravan possible. We'd like to remind our listeners to please show your support for public broadcasting. You won't find programming like this anywhere else. You can find Bill Street Caravan on all the social media outlets. Follow us there. We've always got special features and additional content that we think you'll enjoy. Go to our website at BillStreetCaravan.com and sign up for our monthly newsletter to find out where the caravan is going to be next. And you can always keep up with Bill Street Caravan via our podcast that's available anywhere podcasts can be found. We'll be back next week, so see you then. I'm Pat Mitchell-Worley. And I'm Kevin Cubbins. And you've been listening to the Sounds of Memphis on Bill Street Caravan. Mm-hmm.